Westlap Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. So, uh, great to have all three of us together uh, this past weekend as Northwestern got curb stomped by Minnesota. Um, but, you know, on, on the plus side, it was really cool that, uh, Scuzz, it was great to see you. And it was awesome to watch the game with all three of us together in the same place again. Because uh, it's been a minute since we've been able to do that. And uh, that that's always nice. Yeah, it felt real good to be back. Uh, it been two years. And then, uh, yeah, and then it kind of went downhill. Yeah, it was. it's funny, Sammy, for you and I, kind of on the front end, a uh, a sad callback to the the tailgate before the Michigan State game, where it was so much fun, great conversations, great company, and then the game just went south, and this was kind of like the same thing. I will say, Scuzz, in addition to just the great times of having you there for the tailgate, and that you got to be in on, you know, again, some of the great conversations we had pregame, having you back with us sitting next to us watching the game. It's just one of those things where it's, it used to always be like this years ago. And now it's like, you know, when we're all back together, sitting, seeing the same things on the field at the same time and reacting, it's just that thing that we, that we haven't had in a while. So um, there was that piece of it too, but yeah, that, that, that is, that is fun. Unfortunately, like the three things that come to mind yeah, that we no, all yeah. saw at the same Nothing time were good. like hor- yeah. horrific misreads or over aggression. It just like yep. yeah, no good. Yeah, nothing, <laughs> nothing positive. Yeah, but it was it was at least it was useful. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good good times before the game, um, usefulness during. But yeah, what we saw on the field was uh, yeah, the nightmare scenario. You know, and and you know we, we kind of had it pegged. You know, we knew that. Minnesota was going to be running the ball and running it well. And that offensive line just leaned on the D line all day long. And, you know, the first half we possessed the ball for what? Six minutes, seven minutes. Uh, no, it was, uh, yeah, it was, I think six or just, just under something. Yeah. Like that. It was, it just, was horrible. I mean, they dominated the time of possession. Um, you know, the, the fumble recovery for a touchdown obviously hurt, but like defensively, we, they kept us in it. Like the defense kept the game close as long as it could. The offense. I mean, we we were bemoaning the defense early in the season. Now we're bemoaning the offense. I mean, Andrew Marty coming in definitely like that. There there was a spark there, and and it looked like the offense started to move. But yet again, self inflicted injuries, shooting yourselves in the foot, getting behind the chains. Yeah, a bad penalty here, a false start there, uh, a very poorly designed reverse that went nowhere backwards. I mean, just like little things that, you know, stalled out drives and Minnesota just kept going, kept moving, you know, boom, 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 possessing the ball, getting a field goal here, a touchdown there. And then, you know, in the fourth quarter, when our defense was just totally gassed, they, you know, 41 yard touchdown run, 24 yard touchdown. I mean, just, you know, got out of hand. Well, get gassed and making some pretty serious mental mistakes down the stretch too. I might yeah, add, but yeah. I like, I said this last week and I think I said it the week, the week prior, like 
Northwestern's high watermark for the season remains Rutgers. It's the best that the offensive has played. It's the best the defense has played. Um, you can you can make some arguments about the defense against Michigan as well, but um, I don't think either unit played uh, up to that standard today. And the reality is, if if for the rest of the go here, with the exception of Illinois, like the performance against Rutgers ain't going to get it done. Like the team needs to be better than that, and they were objectively worse than that on Saturday. Absolutely, and it's you know it's bizarre because the the character of the team is so different. Um, from from the Nebraska game, and yet this game echoed the Nebraska game so much in that, despite the fact that, you know, the, the roles, the respective horrific roles of the offense and the defense are kind of reversed, although the offense was no peach in Nebraska either, but we know the main issue, right, was the defense in the Nebraska game. But the common thread between those two games is, and you know if you listen to both of those pods, we kind of mapped out the way we hoped the game would go, but the way we were worried the game could go. And in both cases, we got the nuclear scenario of the way the game could go. It's funny, Sam, you you know, you mentioned it. My dad, who had not listened to our pod for this week, you know, was watching the game independent of, you know, away from us on a TV somewhere. And then, you know, was talking to me after the game being like, man, that right tackle for Minnesota, that guy is like an absolute, my movie, like, yeah, I know. We know he was, he was, <laughs> we we talked at length about this offensive line and it's like, yeah, this is what they do. This is their whole thing. And, you know, Scuzz, you talk about the Rutgers game and Scuzz has been really good at hammering this home. That's like, look at the bottom line. We still remain a team that topped out in that game. And Scuzz is totally right. I think some people are going to want to jump to that too. Yeah. And that's because it's Rutgers and they suck. But it's like, just Sam said it off the top. The degree to which Northwestern has shot itself in the foot offensively over the past couple of weeks, it's like Rutgers was just the unfortunate, you know, they happened to catch us on the week when we just weren't making those mistakes, or at least to a, to a much less degree. The, and the, the degree of, of, of talent and difficulty between like the Ruck, the Rutgers defense and the Minnesota defense, like there might be a little bit of a gap there, but it ain't a lot. Right, they I mean, both have a good linebacker, and that's about it. Right, and you can look at how like Rutgers played against Michigan and be like, "Look, like right, both of these teams, they're not just going to give you yards." But you're absolutely right. I think so. One thing I wanted to map out, and again, just for for a couple of things for you guys at home. First of all, and this is something we all could have predicted: Northwestern only had ten drives in this entire game, because as we like went to great lengths to belabor last week. Minnesota just grinds clock and they suck the air out of the building and it's death by a thousand paper cuts. And that's what they do. We had four drives, four, the entire game that were over three plays. And I mean, that's just crazy. But I mean, it's like if you would have told us that last week, we would have been like, well, I guess we're going to get our ass kicked. Because, like, that's what that sounds like, and that's pretty much what happened. But you can zoom in, I mean, in the second half in particular, and look at what happened when Northwestern had the ball. And it's just so instructive of, like, this cluster that has been this Northwestern offense for massive stretches of this season. So Northwestern's first drive of the second half is 12 plays, 47 yards. Finally, we got to grind a little clock, right? How does it end? It effectively ends 
when that reverse to Triple J goes totally haywire. And, you know, Sam mentioned that it was like a mess of a play. Honestly, to me, it looked like it was a pretty good play. But whether it was Marty or Triple J or whatever, the the basic execution of a basic reverse went totally haywire. And the result was a loss of six yards. We got a bunch of it back on the next play and then went for, for fourth down and didn't get it. So that play effectively killed the drive. The play after that ended when, and we, we put this up on Twitter. I mean, just if you want a play that sums up the Northwestern uh, season, you've got a play on third and seven. Uh, Malik comes in motion, comes in motion, gets set, then false starts. They don't call the false start. All the Minnesota defenders see it and immediately point at him, but the refs don't call it. And then immediately after that, we run another receiver on a drag route over the middle. He's wide open. Whether Marty puts the throw a little bit behind him or a little bit too hard or the receiver just straight up drops it, it's a wide open conversion that is just dropped. And it's just like this play was a dumpster fire from the moment it was like before the ball was even snapped. So that ends that drive. And then the drive after that, um, we throw a successful screen pass to Evan Hall, move the ball, get seven plays off. How does that one end? When we run another play where a tight end and a wide receiver effectively run into each other's space, the play was clearly messed up. Both wide, re- both wide receiver and tight end are in the same spot. And then that leads to the situation where Marty manages to split both of them. Neither of them seem to know who's supposed to catch the ball. And that play ends that drive. Drive after that, we scored a touchdown. Drive after that was the end of the game. So it's like, there you go. Offense just can't get out of its own way. It's just stupid mistakes. And this has been the thing. And it's like, you look at that fumble on our first offensive play of the game with, you know, where Malik, the ball gets popped out. And it's like, in a normal year, we'd be like, that's bad luck. But in this year, how do you not just lump that into everything else you've seen from the offense so far? It's like, this is an offense that can't get out of its own way. They well, just shoot is, themselves in the foot, yeah. This is insane. Given how that game felt, this is insane to think about. With roughly, what was it, two minutes to play? Or six, six, with six minutes and 37 seconds to play, this was when Northwestern scored their second touchdown. Let's take that Triple J reverse drive and say they get a TD on that drive and don't score any at any other time, and they don't give up the, the scoop and score to Minnesota. It's a one-score game with six minutes and 37 seconds left. Right. 28-21, maybe 27-21 if, you know, with Minnesota um, kicking two field goals. Uh, So 27-21 with a chance for us to get a stop and get the ball back. I mean, like, it's it's not hard to to find the math in many of these, these games, right, where Northwestern's only a couple plays away but they feel like they're an eon away from being competitive these last couple of weeks. And then you throw in Nebraska and, and Duke and Michigan state. And my God, it just, it feels like I, like I'm kind of simultaneously just shaking my head thinking, where the hell do we go from here? Because like, like to me, this is feeling worse than 2019, but at yeah, the like same in, time, in, in 2019, you could, you could say, we got to get rid of McCall. Like that was, completely and utterly clear i don't know where where you point the finger this season yeah but but at the same time like you know we're not that far away and you wonder is this is this is this like a michigan state 
just needing to get their head out of their ass type situation uh, and another year under their belt to, to get the execution right. Cause they, to John's point, they keep screwing up so badly. And let's, let's be clear. Like we're pointing out some plays. I think there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, hammering the players, the execution, the coaches are coaching the players and practice and preparing them. So like, this is like, this is everybody, the whole, the whole thing is in, is in the toilet right now. Yeah. I mean, no, you're absolutely right. And it's funny I think one of the, the the common threads, and we've heard this from some people, especially because I mean the peop, the listeners who go back long enough to know with McCall, of course, the ones who go back really long with us know that there were many years when we were kind of in you know in the McCall camp, and then things slowly went off the rails, and then really, and then you know we're not going to relitigate that. But M- this M- is all... McCall was considered a very good offensive coordinator from yeah. two thousand eight through two twenty thirteen. Yeah, and, and very like, good. But there certainly are some people, right, who are juxtaposing that or being like Bajakin, being like, "Look, go by the offensive numbers and and et cetera. And it's like, "Look, I I get the sentiment, but I think the the single biggest thing." And Jared Thomas pointed this out in his piece for for the you know for Wildcat Report this week, and he's doing this a couple times this year, being like, "Why aren't we running the ball more?" And I think the one of the big things is because I think we all saw the way that it was against Michigan. We would, you know, we were sort of like, do we want more carries here? Is Evan Hall going to break every sixth one for 75 yards? I mean, we talked about that last week. Minnesota's run defense, clearly not as good. I'd say there's a sliding scale, though, and your mileage may differ, and Bajakian's mileage may differ from any of ours, right, of like how much faith he has in the line's ability to, to make holes against any particular team. I believe that we should have run it a little bit more uh, because I believe that, you know, Minnesota's defensive line is remotely in the same league as Michigan's. But Jakin may be a little bit, you know, a little bit farther up that scale. Okay. But regardless, and this is the thing we've talked about for a couple of weeks, he knows his offensive line's very reliable in pass protection. Once again, I mean, there were two sacks in this game, but one was against Marty at, you know, the line of scrimmage, where I think Marty was almost kind of trying to run the ball there. And then the other one was Boye Mafe. So if you fold that into Michigan, it's like teams get one sack from their best guy in the game, and that's the one sack that they get. So like Bajakian's looking and being like, well, geez, the pass pro's good. That I know I can rely on, so let's run our offense through that. And then watches all of these plays just self-combust. And like, you know, and like you said, Scuzz, like that's not excusing Bajakian. Like that's coach these guys up better during the week to get the execution better. But it's like, he's looking at that and being like, I know I can throw. I bet if I run this play, a guy's going to be open. And then that guy's open and the play just totally evaporates. Um, And then I think the other piece too, and this, you know, from a long view, a going forward view, and this is kind of what Scuzz alluded to, is the Holinsky piece of this. And... I think a lot of people can look and see that you look at the last four games, Polinsky's um, accuracy has gone down every week and then obviously bottomed out this week. And you can say, hey, he only attempted six passes. But again, we took great lengths to map out the fact that like you don't make the most of your chances against this team. You're not going to get second chances, right? He Well, threw that well and it's, it's important. He was not pressured a lot. Right. Like the, the one sack he, he felt like, he got touched on the shoulder and lost his balance and went down. I mean, right. That, was, and that think, wasn't a big hit. And we were almost using Tanner Morgan as a barometer, right? Being like, is it the wind? And then watching Morgan throw like a laser and being like, nope. Um, and I think from a long, from a long-term perspective, I think 
what's important to know is if you look at Ryan Holinsky's numbers from 2019, the year that he started pretty much the whole year for South Carolina, and you take out his games against Vanderbilt, who is Vanderbilt. They were 1-7 that year. We all know in conference, we all know how Vanderbilt is year to year. And you take out the the late... Um, the, the, the standard late season SEC game against an FCS team. Um, South Carolina played Charleston Southern in that game. Well, if you take out Vanderbilt and Charleston Southern in that game, Ryan Holinsky's completion percentage for that entire year was 54%. And that's exactly where he is for Northwestern right now. This is pretty much in line with Ryan Holinsky's uh, throwing percentage. And the thing is, if you look at his games across 2019, across this year, 54% is not a number he hits in a standard game. He's capable of going out and playing against Georgia and throwing, like, completing 70% of his passes and then turning in games where he's completing 35% and 40% of his passes. Accuracy will depart, Ryan Holinsky. And that's worrisome just because you see all these games like this where it's like, look, what we need is just hitting hitting the sticks it's crazy we looked at marty's completion numbers marty completed 10 passes in this game three of those passes were screens to evan hall now one of those was a three-yard loss and minnesota just had the beat on the play the other two were impact plays one was like a 15-yard gain the other was a touchdown what did those three plays have in common marty simply delivered the ball to evan hall's chest he simply threw it to where evan hall was and it hit evan hall in the chest and allowed the play to work. And that's so stupid because it seems like a really basic thing. And Northwestern hasn't had that thing all season. And it's just like, it just goes back. So it's like execution and looking forward and being like, you know, is is Holinsky going to be this piece for us? Because it's like, this is it with Marty. So, um, yeah. Well, I, I, I do think there's two quick points I want to make. So the first one, we talked we talked about this preseason. Um, I think we talked about this before we knew that Hunter was, or I think before Hunter was named starting QB, if I'm remembering right. But like, we were well aware, right, that Holinsky wasn't the most accurate quarterback coming in. A guy who's only played one year, you also expect to be able to have an opportunity to grow and improve, sure. right? I mean, I mean the 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 the, co- the comparison point that I made was Brandon Peters, who for three years on two different teams has struggled to complete passes and and is a you know, a baked cake at this point. Um, it is, it's pretty frustrating that, that you're not seeing Holinsky improve. The one thing I will say though, is that, uh, you know, there's a clear drop off in how good he's been since Stefan Robinson went out. Yeah. And that was clearly his number one guy. It was clearly a release valve for him and that affects a quarterback. Right. So like I, you know, to really to really start about start talking about going forward, um, Sammy, you texted us today and said, "Oh, we're back to to three oars on the depth chart." And I said, "Which three? Which <laughs> yeah. kind of sums up the quarterback room at this point? It's rough, folks." Yeah, and I think that's so. That's a larger theme. Again, I want to apply it to the defense a little bit, but you you make that joke, and you're absolutely right because I think. Y- you know, so much of our, our brain at this point is suddenly pivoting. And again, it's like, yeah, we still have four games left. And I think a lot of you, and we've heard it from you, feel um, that we tend to look at everything with rose-colored glasses, and we don't deny that, and, you know, we'll even defend it. Like, we, we, we want to be positive to the extent that we can always be positive. But 
And there is true that, you know, we talked last week about the start of this five-game season and four of those games are still left. But, I mean, it's like in a massive situation, Northwestern could not have fallen more on its face in a way that is just very characteristic of this season so far. And in that situation, it's it's hard not to look forward. And I think you there's this theme for me of, like, looking and being like, you mentioned the quarterbacks. It's like Fitz, I feel like Fitz a lot of times tries to tell us very loudly who he is and most of the time we listen to that and sometimes we're guilty of not listening to that. But I think you can look at the quarterbacks and be like, look, like it's Ryan Holinsky and Carl Richardson fighting each other for the job next year. Like that is the way that it's being mapped out right now. You've seen a lot of Carl Richardson so far this season. He's been the guy who's come in and gotten a lot of garbage time reps in a lot of ways from an energy and potentially mobility perspective. Um, he's got some Andrew Marty in him, et cetera. And it's like, you can already look forward and be like, you know, discuss his point. It's like, he's not on the depth chart right now, but he obviously is in the mix. And in next, next season is clearly going to be battling for that starting job. So, I mean, that's, that's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, we're, we're starting to pivot forward and, and look and, and being like, look, like is another year you know, offensively going to, going to correct this. And are these mistakes just going to go away that we're seeing of all kinds, turnovers, penalties, you know, miscommunication, like broken plays. Is this stuff going to fix itself? I mean, this is where Michigan state was last year. They got it together in miraculous fashion and turned it around and got rid of all their mistakes and built a new team out of it. Um, and, and, but, uh, and brought in 23 transfers too. Yeah, true. True. Which we ain't going to do, but, but the, but it's it is. I mean, you it leaves you looking for a solution, and, and they're on right. Like same you said before. Like in this season on offense, there is not that one thing you can point to and be like, if we could just fix this, it is this team is an execution nightmare right now, and that's the thing. But there's no easy fix to getting it right. So um, I want to get a little, give a little pirate booty out. Um, just you know, because there, there there were some really excellent excellent um, performances, and and we've we've talked about a little about one already off the top, but that's Evan Hall, who who put up uh, 107 yards, averaged 7.1 for per carry. I mean that the comments from Jared Thomas that you referenced earlier, John, are really really apt. I I was just digging through the play by play. There are three drives where Northwestern went three and out, and of the nine plays on those three drives, Evan Hall touched the ball on one of them. That feels like um, kind of a mistake especially in a game where the other team is going to grind you so much with the clock um and i like who knows right who knows what they were seeing what they're seeing on film and preparing for and to your point earlier like decent pass bro minnesota is going to give you a look that says you should throw here like bajakian's you know gonna make the smart move and try to throw so like i like i appreciate that i'm you know making this comment without uh really having dug into the tape here but um but Hall was was phenomenal on the ground. Uh, he had the, the 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 three receptions, including for a touchdown. Just looked looked really really good. And then Bergen and Gallagher uh, and Coco uh, Azuma and Brandon Joseph to me all played like a really good game. Um, there were a lot of problems on the defense in that fourth quarter, but uh, none of them were those four dudes from from my vantage point. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the, again, it's like you, you pretty much gave the pirate booty to all the guys, you know, to the main, I mean, Marty, of course, um, you know, it's, it stinks because you, you look back and you kind of think from a couple different perspectives 
I think we we're all looking back at this point, looking back to kind of, you know, 2019 also, um, and kind of in hindsight, wishing we, you know, we would have had a little bit more of Andrew Marty and we'll see, I guess, how the last four games go, but, um, it's not to kind of take pirate booty and, and kind of go in a different direction, but because you mentioned the defense and there, there's one thing that I want to point out. And again, this goes to that thing I mentioned earlier when, you know, when Fitz tells us who he is, we would do well to listen. And there was a moment late in the game. And if you were at the game, there's a really good chance you weren't in the stadium by this point. Because <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. We all watched. emptied out. Oh, my God. We watched a mass exodus. No, no, but, no judgment. No judgment. Yeah, it was... yeah no, ex- exactly. Um, but just to point out, and if you were on TV, watching on TV, you probably didn't see it either. But there was a really important moment between when the defensive starters were in and when all of the defensive substitutes came in. And this happened in the fourth quarter. And basically, again, like, I, I don't have the interest of, of getting into specifics here um, because, A, we just try not to operate that way. And B, the the point is is just the point I'm trying to make doesn't directly have to do with that. But, Scuzz, again, you mentioned we were all sitting there and – we saw a series of about three plays in that fourth quarter that were total disasters. And we all saw them the moment they happened, long before the plays, ultimately, two of them resulted in touchdowns. But ultimately before, you know, immediately going, oh my God. Um, and in that window uh, that I'm talking about late in the game, Northwestern made a change. And it was a change that we've, I mean, have had our eye on for like five, six weeks. And it's one of those things where we've talked about the fact that, you know, Fitz tends to be a pretty inflexible guy, that he he wants things a certain way. And I think kind of the look that like it took this long to get us to a certain point um, and here we are. And it's one of those things where it's like, but at the same time, you can use it to kind of look forward and be like, you can kind of look and pretty clearly, if you stop and think at this point, realize, give or take, um, if you've been paying attention, give or take, you know, one or two defensive line transfers, we pretty much know the exact starting 11. And furiously, here's me knocking on wood. A certain guy whose name's on the side of the stadium does a solid giant solid and decides to come back for another year of football. Um Given those things that you, if you've been paying attention, you basically know all 11 defensive starters for next year. So I start to look and I'm being like, all right, well, if this is the rotation and these are the guys that we all know Fitz is going to be going with next year, um, how, you know, you're caught between, we do still have four games left. I know, I know we've got four games left. I know we're playing some bad offenses, et cetera. And then being like, look, this all feels like a season where pretty soon we're all going to be wanting to turn the page. I know a lot of you already are. And being like, all right, so how many of these guys can we get quality reps as much as possible? And for a brief moment at the end of the game, we saw that in a, in a significant way. So, you know, we're going to see, but we are. We're fighting. You guys know we're fighting as much as anyone not to just turn the page here and, and work with what we have, but it, it's tough. And it's it's very tough now that, you know, looking ahead to this weekend, 6 p.m. start. You know, it's a night game. We got Iowa coming in. Um, 
yeah, this Iowa team, the offense is, you know, to call Iowa's offense anemic is generous. Um, but their defense is insane. So, you know, if you, if you t- go take just the off, under, take the, if you hammer go, the under, I don't, I don't even know what the number is. Uh, hammer it. I was about to say, if you go off of respective points scored in each team's past three games, that number says Northwestern wins 13 to 12. So let's go with that. <laughs> the, 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 the number is 40.5. And, and, and we all know what that means. That means that people think I was going to find a way to hammer us. Um, well, is- I, I mean, here's the thing with Iowa, though. All it takes is two turnovers, right? So, I mean, we gave up. I mean, the, the Minnesota-Northwestern game went yep. over the number, and some of that's because we gave up a scoop and score. And, um, I mean, Wisconsin, to their credit last week, zero turnovers against Iowa. If Northwestern has two turnovers against Iowa, like – we're in trouble. And yep. I think that number becomes a problem too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, and, and, and the thing is, I mean, again, it's like, I, that's, that's what they're thinking, right? They're thinking, and, and without good reason, Iowa has found ways to get all of those breaks and Northwestern has found ways to shoot itself in their foot. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to put the two together, but that's the thing, right? So what is the spread, Sammy? Uh, Iowa by 12. Wow. Ooh, wow. I mean, with an, mind, with an over under of 40. So that's like, that is what, 28 I mean, that to is, 10. Keep in mind, Iowa hasn't scored 12 points in either of their last two games. So, I mean, that's, that's a slap in the face for sure. But I mean, this is, this is where we are right now. Um, but I mean, they are like Iowa's offense truly is a mess. They want to be Michigan, but are not Michigan in, by any stretch of the imagination. And well, we, we, we called this out preseason. We you called part, it out so well relative to part, Petrus. Part of the part of the reason to believe this year for for uh, you know the West being wide open was that Wisconsin's run game last year didn't look that great, and Graham Mertz was a turnover machine. And Iowa was losing their only dynamic player on offense in um, Amir Smith-Marset. Petrus was real squirrely and underwhelming. And they've got an undersized offensive line, which is just super weird for Iowa. Fast forward to midseason, Iowa cannot control the line of scrimmage and run the ball effectively. That includes against a team like Purdue that's not a great running team uh, or not a great run run D. Petrus really struggles because he doesn't have a lot of targets. And when you don't give them incredible field position and feed their defense, the ball, they just, they can't do a lot with it. And like, I say that real, I say that fully aware that Northwestern's offense is one of the worst in the entire country, but um, you, you cannot look Pot at Iowa kettle, in any right? other light. Yeah. Right. I'm, yeah, I mean, Pet- totally. Petrus's numbers are, are virtually identical to Andrew Marty's and a little bit worse from this past week. Now, granted, he was against Wisconsin, a, a defense that's really started to get better since, you know, the early part of the year. But um, but his numbers, I like, I don't know that he's had a good game yet this year. Like, right. No. So 70% completion and 259 yards against Maryland. Beyond that, he hasn't cleared 55% completion or 200 yards and he's thrown uh five picks um 
in his uh, in his four Big Ten games. Right. I think the the trade off is this: <laughs> we've we've had a couple of of weeks now talking about um, you know with Michigan trying to map out. Look, like there are areas to which their defense is a little bit you know not I wouldn't say a mirage, but their defense isn't quite as good as it's being made out to be. Right. And then Minnesota, we we're like, that really is true. And Iowa's defense is really, really awesome. Like there's, yeah, no it's getting, amazing. There's no getting around it there. Like there's no mirage there now. Yeah. Did they pick up a ton of sweet turnovers at the beginning of the year? Yes, they did. If you take those turnovers away, this is still a defense that is great. Getting to the quarterback is great against the run and gets tons of turnovers. It's just an awesome defense. And I mean, you can look at what Purdue was able to do against them throwing the ball. And it's like, I mean, credit where Purdue, you know, credit where credit is due to Purdue. Like when Purdue's got the, you know, that David Bell connection going, that's where they make their bones. And they had it going against Iowa. But you can look at Wisconsin and Wisconsin won that game because Iowa's offense is every bit as bad as Scuzz just mapped out. And Wisconsin's defense is the second best defense in the country. Wisconsin's offense didn't do anything in that game. Well, and well, and we we we, we said that uh, you know Wisconsin had managed, managed to not turn the ball over. Iowa turned the ball over three times, including fumbling twice when, with inside inside of their own ten yard line. So like right. that's like you, like you if you're looking so at the Wisconsin score, was wow, getting Wisconsin, the, the, they were getting the short fields that Iowa had been getting earlier in this season, right? Yep, exactly. Right. I mean, so don't look right. at the score and think that like Wisconsin blew out Iowa. <laughs> I mean, right. Wisconsin like did, threw for because they ran all over them. Right, Wisconsin threw for 104 yards and averaged 3.5 yards a carry and won by 20. Uh, that's, I mean, and and so it's like if you're mapping it out, you hope that Iowa, you know, gives you a couple. But it's it's rough just because again, we've watched several times this season of this offense just shooting itself in the foot against bad or like let's say good to mediocre to flat out bad defenses and we're headed into a couple week stretch where we get you know a couple of the five best in the country and it's like you even if even if your execution is good you're gonna have trouble and like we've we've got to get to that point so yeah it's well so it's not pretty can map out a northwestern victory here well, so so here's what's absolutely critical because I want to start on the other side of the ball, and that's our defense against Iowa's offense, which yes, very anemic, right? But um, in the five Big Ten games that they have played, sixteen sacks that Iowa has given up. If we can't get to Petrus, if we can't sack Petrus, like that's a huge part of why their offense has been so anemic. And on the other hand, like Tyler Goodson is not a terrible running back. Like, yes, I, like Iowa's offensive line is undersized, and they seem to be, you know, and, um, and yet they have a center who's probably going to go top ten in the draft next year. Yeah, um, but there's like this is not like the big, this is not the the monster uh, show that we had this past weekend against Minnesota, where like the guys are averaging three forty across the line, right? Like, I think when we when we looked preseason, based on what's in the uh, in in the media guide or whatever Iowa's o-line is barely averaging 300 so um but that but like northwestern has to take advantage of that if our d-line doesn't show up and and play with the ferocity and the intensity that they did against Rutgers because I I haven't seen it since that game um we're not going to be getting the sacks and we're not going to be 
you know, getting getting uh, Goodson for for minus yardage or minimal yardage the way you need to 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 shut Iowa down, and then Northwestern could be in danger of getting getting steamrolled again. Right. I think I guess to to Sam's point about like silver linings, right? I mean, it's like one thing that I think a lot of people probably aren't aware is like Iowa's really bad running the ball, and they it's just they. I mean, that's the character of the team is they want to go heavy and run like that's been the character of the team. And like, they're just not good at doing it. I mean, Goodson is their bell cow. He's averaging four yards a carry right now. Um, and I think 600 yards. And there are games like Wisconsin where they just, and granted, that's Wisconsin, but where they just got completely stoned. And you can look at Purdue and it's like the same thing. So I think you can look at Northwestern's performance against the run and being like, look, if, you know, up, if you look at the first halves of these last two games, pretty Herculean efforts, considering that we had something like 11 minutes of offensive possession combined through those first two halves. And it's like, if that kind of defensive effort comes out um, against a team that doesn't run the ball nearly as well as the last two teams we've played do, um, that'll that'll keep it tight. And then, then we'll see. But yeah, I mean, it's you hope for a low-scoring game where... Um, they just can't get off the ground offensively. But uh, maybe uh, let's put it this way: if you're looking for a, a specific path, Brandon Joseph got himself into tenth all time on the Northwestern interception list. Uh, if he decides to bump himself up to ninth or eighth on that list, uh, Northwestern's probably going to be in a, a pretty good chance to win this one. Okay. Um, I mean, what what else? What else do we? I mean, it there's a there's a malaise, and like we're, we're seeing it. In, I'm I'm in, feeling it. We're, we're all I'm feeling, feeling it. it, and like I, I'm sure at this at this point, you know, you can hear it in our voices. Like it, it's really it's hard to get excited, and yet we still have. Uh, we can win three of our last four games. It is possible. I like we're not saying like season's done. Pack it in. We'll see you in Dublin next year because we still could make a bowl game here. And, you know, even theoretically at five and seven, we could make a bowl game. So, you know, the opportunity to get those extra 15 practices to to get that national spotlight, it's there. So if this team can, like, get it together and put together a complete game, go out there and beat Iowa. I mean, this is a team that was, what, number two in the country two weeks ago. And now they're number 19 only because people couldn't find it in their soul to drop them out. I mean... This is not a top 25 team, I don't think. But, uh, you know, if we can go out and get it done, get a little momentum, yeah, we're going to Wisconsin right. the next week. We're com- we're, we've are we got Purdue at Wrigley Field. we got Illinois. There are winnable games. Can we win them? Yes. Can we lose them? Absolutely. But, you know, it, it the season's not over is, is kind of where I'm, what I'm getting to, even though it, it it feels sure. like it. And then, I know. And that's, that's the thing. Like I'm, I'm trying to hold on hope. And it's like, we've, we've tried to map out the path and you're right. The path is totally there. It's just, it is progressively getting harder, even for us to not look the other way. Like I'm looking at this game being like, Sammy, I'm picturing you and I freezing our butts off in this stadium, uh, surrounded by Iowa fans. And it's just hard not to envision the negative scenario where it's halftime. I was turned a couple turnovers into points and you know, 
the Northwestern fans that are there are free, are fleeing to the warmth of their houses in droves. And it just stinks. And it's like, we don't want to think this way. We always want to look at the positive. Just like Sam said, there are winnable games. There is a bowl possibility still here, but it's just like, we're, we're as beaten down as you guys are. We're, we're, we're trying to find it. We're, we're trying to look for positives. I mean, th- this is senior night. This is the last game at Ryan field for the season potentially ever i i mean who knows what the what the timetable for the for the uh, the new stadium is going to be but theoretically they could get all the permitting done and get started you know at some point this winter that's possible i don't think it's going to be ha- I, I think we'll be in ryan field next season but that's just you know what i'm thinking but uh theoretically this could be the last ever game at this stadium as it exists so let's send it out with a bang guys yeah, I mean, it's not too late to pull the iron out of this fire. Your hand's going to get burned pretty bad, but we can still, you can still get it. Um, yeah, and it's it's that thing. It's like that secret sauce we're searching for. What if we just don't screw up on a bunch of offensive plays? If that happens, we're, we're right in this game. Like the offense is just like, you know what? We're just going to execute like clockwork all game. No turnovers, no penalties. Every play runs exactly the way it was designed to run. I mean, from from my lips to God's ears, but that that'll be that'll be kind of the thing. All right, let's quickly whip around the rest of the conference um, this past week and uh, kind of preview this upcoming week. Um, you know, the the big one, obviously, Michigan State. You know, coming back to beat Michigan thirty seven thirty three. Yeah, I mean, hats off to Michigan State, man. Like, I totally sold on this team before the season. Like, I did not think they were going to be all that good based on last year. And here they are, undefeated, 9-0, probably, like, definitely in the playoff conversation at this point. And, like, that's awesome. Kenneth Walker, five touchdowns, 197 yards. Averaged 8.6 yards per carry against Michigan. Um I think like a couple things stood out to me in this game. One, like early on, right? Michigan got out to that lead. Uh, I saw, I think it was Adam Rittenberg. Maybe it was, maybe it was others, but people saying like, Ooh, Michigan, like settling for field goal, field goals. Now you're going to regret that later. And they certainly did regret it later. I'll also point out someone said at the beginning of the year. And we talked about it after the, the, the game last week, like Cade McNamara is a limited quarterback. He just is. Now he threw for 383 in this game. Um, but he was 20 to 44, only two TDs, one pick. And I just like, I, I, I think it's a mistake that they didn't get McCarthy more up to speed and ready to play by now. They've been playing it a little bit safe, safe. And I, and I think it bit them here. Yeah. I think there's, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think the irony is a lot of people were getting on Harbaugh for playing McCarthy late um, in the game. And, and I'm kind of like, I'm kind of to your point where I'm like, look, it, Michigan, if McCarthy plays to his peak potential, Michigan's an unstoppable football team. <laughs> so I'm kind of like, that's, and Harbaugh knows it, and that's kind of like that weird last piece. To me, the huge thing about this game is. But the but the, the, the one thing to that, though, is like he, he fumbled, and it was off of that fumble that Michigan State went and scored their touchdown, right? So, like, it's funny because, like, they brought McCarthy in late and – I mean, you can kind of argue he lost them the game, and I just I think the mistake is not is not playing him more early in the year to get him ready to be QB QB one. Totally, absolutely. 
the biggest thing I would say coming out of this game is Kenneth Walker is your runaway Heisman leader right now. Now, people will try to tell you there are other people in the list. If you think America wants to give C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young a Heisman trophy, I'm not going to say we've given that trophy 10 times in the past 15 years, but we basically have. That guy's won a million Heismans. America desperately wants a Michigan State running back to win this Heisman trophy. It's his to lose. If well, they, if they go, the only exception I would say, Scuzz, is Cincinnati's quarterback. Well, the the problem though, John, is that America does not get to vote for the Heisman. So, um. well, but I, but I but I honestly will say, if if he makes it, if they can if they can make it to the Big Ten championship game, um, un you know undefeated, and he keeps putting it up, I truly believe it's his award to lose. Like I just believe that you know people are sick of Alabama people winning it they're sick of Ohio State people winning it um they're sick of these juggernauts imprinting themselves and just gobbling up all the awards Oklahoma etc um and I really think that and, and also too just credit where credit is due Walker's having this absolutely unbelievable season um you know that truly is special and you know this is the kind of season where if he wins a Heisman you're talking where he's he's starting to put himself in like greatest Michigan state player ever conversation like up there with the very best that schools ever had. And those kind of things are special. I just kind of believe that, you know, the, the award has kind of gotten diluted a little bit by these juggernaut teams putting up juggernaut numbers. And this is kind of a, a chance to go. I'll add to how flipping mind blowing is it? Wake forest is currently undefeated and the only ranked team in the ACC and he played for Wake Forest. And I know, that's wild. He, he could still be there, which is just absolutely like they somehow lost the current Heisman frontrunner and are still undefeated and leading that conference. So, yeah, just crazy. But I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I have no love for Michigan State, but I love the idea of Walker, you know, continuing to lead this thing and winning that award. I mean, it, it, it'd be great. Um, I just, just you're like I I, I mean I'm I mean, totally... I'm, I'm I'm literally looking at an award that that are looking at a list that's talking about um how the the last time a uh, Big Ten running back won the award was 1999 with Ron Dane, and since then seven backs have finished in the top five of Heisman voting, um, and actually I believe it's eight because I think they're they're forgetting about one uh. Damian Anderson here, but um, so Damian Anderson in 2000, uh, Larry Johnson in 2002 with over 2,000 yards rushing, uh, Chris Perry in 2003, Mike Hart in 2006, Monty Ball with 1,900 yards and 33 touchdowns in 2011, uh, Melvin Gordon with 2,600 yards and 30 and 29 touchdowns in 2014, Squan Barkley, Jonathan Taylor in 2019, 2,000 yards, 21 TDs, um, Gordon's the only one that finished above third. So I just like, I, I, I hear you, man. And I'm, just, I'm, and I'm all for it. But right now, like 
the current I, odds, odds according to FanDuel. Bryce Young, it's plus 150. C.J. Stroud, plus 350. Matt Coral, plus 600. And then you get Kenneth Walker, plus 600. And I just I, like – I just – so like I if – they, If they beat Ohio State and Penn State the last two weeks of the year, then maybe we're cooking with gas here. But I, I think, I think well, until that, he well, is on the outside looking in. And to that point too, I just – I so want this to be true. I'm just like – in well then, go weeks. go get it at it, well, six to one, buddy. Well, go get it, it at six to one. <laughs> in in, th- in three weeks, they're probably going to play Ohio State, and Stroud's probably going to throw for four hundred yards, and everyone's going to come out of that and be like, "I guess it's CJ Stroud," and that will just suck so hard. So, like, come on, come on, Michigan State, keep the keep the Cinderella run going. All right, elsewhere around the conference, uh, Ohio State beat Penn State thirty three twenty four. Clifford looked healthy, uh, 35 of 52 for 361 and a touchdown. But Ohio State, they're good. They're real that good. Game was, that game was surprisingly gross uh, for uh, considering how Penn State, you know, I just, how Penn State looked the week before. Um, they Their defense kind of showed up a little bit and they were able to keep it close. But yeah, it it didn't really feel like, you're right, like Clifford, Clifford showed out and, you know, you see him, you see him playing hurt and it's like, um, but they were in it, but you know, and of course Ohio state's got Henderson and you know, that felt like a classic Ohio state, Penn state game to me, you know, cl- closer than you would have expected it to be. Um, really hard nosed, hard hitting game. Uh, like, I think like what stood out, stood out, especially to me is that Penn state couldn't run the ball at all. Um, they Ohio couldn't, they couldn't really run had, the ball against uh, Illinois either. Ohio State's defense has gotten a little bit better throughout the course of the year. Now they 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 threw the ball over all over the yard, um, and on the other side they did a, a surprisingly good job kind of containing Ohio State's receivers. Uh, but Travion Henderson um, was electric. So um, I don't know. I just I just don't know what you're going to do about Ohio State because their their offense can can beat you in seven different ways, and you shut down three of them, and you still get beat by two scores. Uh, we talked about Wisconsin over Iowa, 27-7. Uh, Rutgers beat Illinois, 20-14. to Hey, if you're looking for some positive... Brandon Peters. Sur- a surgical performance, Scuzz, from Brandon Peters. 14 of 9. Everything we've come to expect from Brandon Peters in this game. This is, Well, this was, it's like on its head, right? Like average 10 yards per, per attempt, two TDs, no picks. Like I don't, I don't know which Brandon Peters this was. I actually don't understand how Illinois lost with him playing that well. Yeah, again, it's like the Illinois lost in that the fact that they beat the number seven team in the country technically a week ago is that Illinois was absolutely committing crimes against football in that game. And that didn't really change this game. So that, you know, I feel like to, to, to Sam's point, you know, with a little APR love, five and seven, well, Illinois might give us four. So so there you go. Then you'd just be looking for one more. But, I, you know, I think we all wanted to see Rutgers beat Illinois just so we could be like, okay. We've got at least this one to look forward to, and hey, we got that. Uh, Maryland beats Indiana 38-35. Poor Indiana. I mean, at, at this point. At least the offense showed up. But I mean, the, 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 the Indiana defense, I mean, Northwestern's defense has at least finally gotten it together, but the, and, and so is Wisconsin's. The Indiana defense and then Michigan State, at large are probably like the two things that we got most wrong coming and, into this year. And Indiana returned all of the key pieces too. everything. It's just an absolute nightmare. Yeah. And like in this game, yeah. 
I mean, this is a team that was great against the pass last year, and Maryland just eviscerated them. So, yeah, it's sad. I mean, Indiana's clearly a worse team than Northwestern, and, you know, it's just Indiana and Rutgers. But, yeah, crazy. And then uh, Purdue goes to Lincoln and beats Nebraska 28-23. Is, is this it for it Frost? I mean, is that, like, is that the nail in the coffin? It felt like the nail in the coffin, didn't it? I mean, this is – Nebraska's playing – Nebraska now plays Ohio State. Uh, and then they play Wisconsin and then they play Iowa. Um, three and nine is the betting, I would say, favorite for where they're going to finish here. Um, and – yeah, I, I, I think it has to be. I, I don't see how he's how he's going to save his job here. And I mean, like, it was such a quintessential. Adrian Martinez, four interceptions. Four I mean, picks. Yep. I mean, it's like we got we got the one game where Nebraska, you know, they, they rolled us. Um, and, and, you know, because, again, the, the plays that we were sitting and watching in the fourth quarter of of the Minnesota game kind of led to us thinking that there's a really good chance they roll us again if we were going to play the you know make those same mistakes. Um and yet this team in every other game is just a turnover factory and yep, yep, yep. and and they they find ways to lose every game and they did again. So and that's that's yeah. Frost's MO. I think he's gone. So th- this weekend Fox noon at home against Ohio State. Ohio State a 15 point favorite. 15. They will play really hard. I mean, this is like the beginning, the, the first game of last season, right? Remember, we were all joking about like, oh, Nebraska, you wanted to play football and you got Ohio State. And then they acquitted themselves pretty well in the first half. And I think this is true of, of when they played Ohio State in Frost's first year or second year. I mean, like they will play really hard and they will bring their absolute best effort and it will not be anything close to enough. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota's at home, 14 and a half point favorite over Illinois. Yeah. Trap. (laughs) Who do they have the week after? Do they have Wisconsin or Iowa the week after? I think they have have uh, Iowa the week after. Yeah, so Minnesota's got their, they've got the major. Yeah, they've got two traps. They've got Illinois before they play Iowa. They've got Indiana before they play Wisconsin. Um, And... And I think both of the no the the Illinois games at home, but but you know, I would say right now that I think Minnesota is probably your favorite to to make the Big Ten championship game. Yeah, um, they're they've just they're they know what they want to do and they're solid at it and da- down to their fourth string running back and yeah. it matters not. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we didn't even mention that. I bet a lot of you didn't even know. Did you know that their third string running back got hurt at the beginning of our game, first quarter? You didn't play the rest of the game. Didn't I bet notice. None of you even noticed. Didn't yep. notice. Didn't make any difference. Yep. Still had two other guys ran for a hundred, and that's yep. like, and this is the like the third time they've done that this season, where, um, you know, after after um. Uh, Ibrahim went down. Uh, it took him a, maybe a game or two to get back up to speed. But then, um, when Trey Potts went down, like it, they didn't even miss a beat. It, it's just it's wild. Michigan State at Purdue. Michigan State only a three point favorite. This is Trap City. Big, big yeah, Trap City here. Although what's interesting is both of them coming back home, or well, Purdue coming back home after a huge win on the road for them. Michigan State, obviously, you know venturing out after that that massive win over Michigan um I mean there's a potential for letdown on both sides I think like this feels much like the Wisconsin game this feels like a bad matchup for Purdue doesn't it 
It's so the the big thing is Wisconsin's pass defense is nothing. I mean, like they're like, I mean, not Wisconsin, Michigan State's pass defense. Uh, they're not necessarily going to get in there against Purdue. Um, That's fair. Yeah. I, but I think you're totally well, right. We, and we saw, when we saw Hunter dial against them, right? So. Right. Yeah. The, uh, I feel like Purdue can throw against Michigan State. Michigan State can absolutely run on Purdue. They can run all over Purdue. Um, and that will probably be the difference in the game. But again, my my point, the Kenneth Walker Heisman campaign, you know, he puts up 250 here and they get the roll. But I get why it's close. There's a chance, you know, Aiden O'Connell or Plumber don't turn it over and they throw for 350. David Bell's going crazy. This will be a game. Uh, Penn State at Maryland. Penn State a 10-point favorite. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Maryland. Yeah. Although, although interestingly, a game that Maryland always has circled on the calendar, right? Because of the the proximity and the recruiting and everything else, like. Um, but I think they're going to get destroyed. Yeah, I think again, it's easy to forget because Maryland, like, well, not easy to forget, but I mean, Maryland is as bad in the trenches as any team in the conference. They just have Talia Tagovailoa. Like that's that's it. Like you look at Maryland played Iowa and got annihilated. Iowa. Because like they're like they just can't get anything they can't get anything done, and Ohio State same thing, Minnesota same thing. So I think as as anemic as Penn State's offense has been, Maryland will will be the cure for what ails them. You want to talk anemic offenses? Wisconsin at Rutgers. Wisconsin a twelve point favorite. The over under thirty seven and a half. That's three points lower than ours. I guess <laughs> Iowa. Yeah. I mean the 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 thing is is at this point like. And it, and it's interesting because I think it was Braylon Allen um, who who kind of broke out against um, Iowa last week. It wasn't even Chaz, Chaz Malusi looked pretty bad. Uh, like Nikia Watson and Jalen Berger aren't even on the radar anymore as, as as Wisconsin's running back. So, like, it it's interesting. They seem to have you know found a more effective running game, um, and I think they should be able to do just fine against Rutgers. But um, yeah, like if if by some you know, by hook or by crook, Rutgers can can stonewall them enough uh, with with the run game. Like putting the ball in Mertz's hand is still quite quite anxiety inducing. Yeah, I think the I mean it's it's crazy to look at, but Rutgers as as much as you 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 want to make a case and be like, look, like Rutgers can have you know a little bit be a little bit strong in the in the trenches, etc. Like I, I mean, there's a really very strong chance Rutgers scores zero points in this game. Um, Rutgers has been, I mean, you're talking, they scored 17 points against Syracuse. They scored seven against us, 13 against Michigan, 13 Ohio State, 13 Michigan State, and 20 against Illinois. Zero is firmly on the table for them in this game. Um, and, you know, that that might be enough for Wisconsin to just lean on them. And then finally, Indiana at Michigan. Michigan, a 19.5 point favorite at home. I, I mean, I would say Michigan eats that 19 and a half points for breakfast and then asks for a fat lunch. I, I just, this to me screams Michigan just, just plows them. So that's the conference. Um, I, I saw a really interesting, uh, note and like from you were recording this on Monday night, there will be football on TV every single day until after at some point after Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's like, so like three Wednesdays from now or something. Yeah. Uh, Cause we've got Maction on Tuesday and Wednesday, um, Thursday and Friday night, 
you know, Thursday night at NFL, Friday, we got games. Um, you know, game on Thursday night, uh, Georgia State, Louisiana. Um, Saturday, obviously, Sunday, Monday. Yeah, it's just, you like football, now's the time. You can start uh, start taking it all in. You know, th- this, is, this, is, this is it. Um, the college football playoff rankings come out Tuesday night. Um, what do you guys think? You know, Georgia easy, then what? Bama, Ohio State, Cincinnati? Not necessarily in that order. Oklahoma Those, might be in there. Or? I mean, I, I mean, I swear to God, if Oklahoma's in there, that's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it seems pretty cut and dry who the top four teams are, and I think you just named them. Um, I think, the, it, it, and then you know, beyond that, the order doesn't really yeah. matter. I mean, Michigan State and Oklahoma, I think, on the outside, right? Even though Michigan State's undefeated, Ohio State has the loss, but they're playing each other, so that kind of works itself right. out in the wash. Right. I think it'll be. I think it'll be the four teams that you just mentioned, and then the order. Doesn't really matter beyond that. I mean, I think Georgia's going to be one. I, I mean, right after that, doesn't matter. Speaking of which, Sammy, I, I'm curious. I see that Missouri is at Georgia this week. I'd love to know what the line for that game is. Well, well while Missouri, you're looking that up, I, I, oh my I, goodness, Georgia by 38. Yeah. Well, I um, I am not as confident as y'all that Cincinnati is going to be in that top four. And the resurgence of Oklahoma, the change at QB, I don't know. This is this is a this is a nasty blue blood sport. Um, game day is coming to Cincinnati. Yeah, how about that? Uh, huh? For a game against Tulsa, which is really cool. Um, I just have no faith in them putting a non-power five team in the top four. We'll I will. I think I at, at the end of the season, probably that's probably true. But I think I I think they're gonna want to do that at first. You know, for the first one, put them in the top four. You can bounce them out later if you don't want to have them in the playoff. That's that's what they'll do. But the optics of putting them in, at least to begin with, I, I think I think they'll do it. I would say the single biggest thing for me, Scuzz, is I think there's a really good chance Notre Dame finishes the season eleven and one. Uh, and that would that would be huge for Cincinnati's chances, right? I mean, all they have to do they have to beat Navy, Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Stanford to pull it off. That seems very doable to me. And if if Notre Dame does that, they are like Cincinnati's like Notre Dame's eighth right now. You get a couple other losses, you put Notre Dame up to you know, like Notre Dame will not jump Cincinnati. So that's the the single biggest thing that they would have going for them is that massive victory. So that's that's kind of uh, college football in a nutshell. Um, cool, cool times on Sunday though. I mean, Northwestern all, Saturday was, all just, was rough. You've all just been waiting an hour for us to get to this. <laughs> but uh, Northwestern in the in the NFL had a really really good day yesterday. Um, you know, Justin Jackson busting out a massive run uh, opened up. A hole opened up by Rashawn Slater taking his defensive lineman 12 yards down the field. Trevor Simeon comes in in relief of uh, Jameis Winston, who tore his ACL, uh, took the Saints to a win over Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Um, Jameis is out. I think it's Trevor Simeon's job unless Taysom Hill comes back. And I'd rather, you know, at least as far as I'm concerned, I think Taysom Hill, you put in – 
bits and pieces and you have Trevor as your as your guy unless something else happens. Yeah, I think Hill is I mean, and I don't think Hill has ever really proven that he's a classic dropback passer. They love to use him in that hybrid role. I'm not saying I mean it probably is Hill, but um you know, he's I, coming I, off a concussion. So Right. And and is a guy who is a major scrambling quarterback, etc. Like I think we'll see more of Trev. Um and, you know, that may be an up and down situation, but just seeing, you know, he threw his first touchdown pass in what, like fourteen hundred days? Um Yeah, four just, years. Yeah. Just amazing. And just just seeing him up there after the game and how happy he was and I mean super super respectful mentioned um Jameis's injury like you know a ton of times and but you could tell just how crazy of a moment it was for him um first thing they asked him how many text messages have you gotten he said about 200 and they said are you going to go through and answer them all and he said well they're pretty much all from my mom and my wife so it won't be very hard <laughs> it was like awesome it will be interesting to see where where things go with the Saints um just in, I mean that the the problem with Trevor has never really been his his talent. It's been staying healthy, right, and protecting him. Um, so we'll see how we'll see how we go there. Um, and if they bring in other QBs, uh, I don't know. Right? But like it's yeah, it's an awesome awesome moment. Yeah, it was great, and you could see online so sorely needed by Northwestern nation to have that, <laughs> to have that day. We, you could just see the response online from everybody being like, just something. Finally. Thank you. Thank you. Northwestern loves for just giving us this little nugget that we can carry forward. So I, yeah. I just, I distinctly remember in 2017 when he was named the starter of the Broncos and Northwestern had that horrific start to the season. Um, tweeting out something to the effect of Northwestern football had to die so that touchdown Trevor could live. And this feels like, like um, a sliding or not sliding doors, but this feels like deja vu. Yeah. So, you know, definitely we're, we're keeping our, I mean, there's so many Northwestern alums in the NFL. It's, it's fun to watch um, for sure. One thing that uh, don't want to, just mention this real quickly. Uh, men's basketball starts this week uh, with a exhibition game against Lindenwood on Thursday night. Had no idea who Lindenwood is. Um, the real season starts next week, uh, November 9th, against Eastern Illinois. But uh, I moved. I moved that all basketball related things should not start until after January first. But that's just me. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much when you start paying attention anyway. Like after football's done, but. You know, men's and women's hoops. We're going to take a look at them. I mean, it, we're we're not there yet. Uh, you know, we're still trying to. Like, I know me. I'm still just trying to like wrap my head around the the end of what well, the perceived end of football season um, before I start turning my attention to basketball. Um, yeah, it, we'll we'll get to them. So don't worry. Uh, coming soon, our men's and women's basketball previews. But, uh, yeah, if you have Big Ten Network Plus and you want to watch this exhibition against Lindenwood, go for it. Let us know. I, I would say don't OD on too much Halloween candy because you still have to enjoy the creamy frosting that is Northwestern's non-conference basketball schedule. It's pretty amazing. And you know what? I don't blame them one bit because when Big Ten play starts, it don't stop. So um, yeah. take, take those opportunities. Eastern Illinois, High Point, New Orleans, 
fairly Dickinson, not completely Dickinson, just sort of fairly Dickinson. Uh, the Legends <laughs> Classic in Newark against Providence and then the winner of Georgia, Virginia. They got Wake in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Uh, got a game against Maryland and then uh, NJIT, DePaul, Illinois, Springfield, Prairie View, A&M, and then into the conference slate uh, starting in January. So that is the early season for Northwestern men's basketball. Um, anything else to mention before we go, guys? Yeah, I think I'll just add, you know, obviously we talked about it off the top, but getting into Evanston, being able to hit the tailgate, um, our our dedicated uh, tailgate leader, Dan Hefner, um, all those who showed up to our tail- tailgate, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we got to see Jay. That was great. Uh, Walton Roland was really, really fun meeting, meeting, meeting you guys. Uh, Terrence and Molly, thanks for swinging by. Just it was, it was an awesome, awesome experience pregame. Obviously, the game was um, a disappointment, but um, I uh, I can't wait to get back. Hopefully, in another couple of weeks for uh, for Wrigley. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens, though. Yeah, and I would just add again, you know, Sammy, you and I will be there um, through through rain, through sleet, through whatever it's going to be like this coming Saturday. But, uh, but yeah, we'll six, be there. Six, six o'clock start. You know, six o'clock kickoff. So you know, dinner uh, come, in the east parking lot. Come by and say hi. Come by, yeah. We'll share the warmth of we'll share the warmth of good company and uh, and try to warm each other warm each other up. But again, truly, I mean, Scuzz said it, but truly, the the best part of the day for all of us was the conversations that we had, you know, kind of before the game and everyone we were able to talk to it was so much fun. So yeah, come on by. Um, we in the East Lot up by Wildcat Alley uh, and talk to us because we're you know these are these are a lot of the moments that are becoming the highlights of the season for us so let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight uh, head to our website westlotpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions find us on Facebook Twitter and Instagram at westlotpirates and email the show westlotpirates at gmail.com tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics look for us in the west lot of Ranfield flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter especially the fourth John Lacombe and Eric Scasby and Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.